This is Startup Renegades, a raw conversation with founders, entrepreneurs, and the unicorns among us who have taken their idea and turned it into a thriving, profitable brand. I'm your host, Shauna Armitage, and my work as a fractional marketing director has led me to connect with dozens and dozens of founders in all stages of their startup journeys. Whether they're bootstrapping or fundraising or have capital on hand, there's one big question founders always ask, how do I grow this thing? On Startup Renegades, we'll explore how they did it, and you'll walk away with actionable steps you can take on your own journey to scalable growth. On this very first episode of Startup Renegades, I want to introduce you to Karina Glover, the founder of Her Headquarters. Her Headquarters is an app connecting women entrepreneurs to brand partnerships with women-owned businesses. The app makes it easy for women entrepreneurs to discover and secure mutually beneficial partnerships for their business by introducing them to various projects, events, and campaigns to collaborate on. And who wouldn't want that? Since launching, Karina's expertise on brand partnerships and support of women entrepreneurship has caught the attention of Congress and landed the company press coverage by Cheddar, Harper's Bazaar, Thrive Global, Business Insider, and more. In 2020, she was recognized by American Express and selected to participate in their 100 for 100 Black Female Founders Initiative. Karina is a native of Omaha, Nebraska, and became one of the first African Americans in her state to raise venture capital. Her vision is to build generational wealth, become an investor that exclusively invests in women and minority-owned companies, and introduce more products and experiences that aid in more women becoming power players in business. Let me tell you, everybody, there is no power player like Karina Glover. I'm so excited to welcome her to the podcast. You're going to learn so much There's so much value in her journey, in her experience, and in her vulnerability, and I want to share that with you today. Karina Glover of Her Headquarters, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited. I'm so excited, too. I have had the pleasure of working on your team, and I don't know if I've ever met a more driven entrepreneur. (laughs) I hear that all the time and I still don't know how to receive that. I'm like, am I doing too much or am I really just that? Because I mean, I know I'm very ambitious and I'm very focused and I'm very disciplined, but it's always so funny when people say that because I don't know how to respond. (laughs) I don't think we ever think about those things about ourselves. You're just like, well, yeah, of course I'm in it to win it. Why else wouldn't I be here? Right. Yeah. Like losing is not an option for me. Failing is not an option. Let's start with your story. Have you always been an entrepreneur? I've always had an entrepreneur mindset going all the way back to actually elementary school. So when I was in elementary school, I want to say this is like maybe a third or fourth grade. Um, At the time, it was really popular, at least at my school, to like decorate your locker. And at the time, you know, the people that were super popular at the time was like Britney Spears, Justin Timberlake, and Sync, and like all of those bands and stuff were popular. And so what I would do is I would 
find money wherever I could find it. Rather, it was like left on the kitchen table or like my grandma sleeping and I took a couple of dollars from her purse. I'm not condoning this part. But what I would do was take money and I would buy magazines at the grocery store. And then when I would go to school, I would sell the magazine spreads, like the full page photos of these different celebrities. And I would sell them to my classmates for a dollar each so that they could have decorated lockers with like all of their favorite celebrities and artists and models and stuff. And so like that mindset was always there as a kid. That is so cool. (laughs) I know, I know. And I did eventually end up getting in trouble for how I went about getting the money initially to fund my business, I guess, and supply inventory. But the mindset was there. Like I see an opportunity, I see a need, I can provide this and I was good at it. And so that made me excited. But then eventually after college or in my final semester of college is when I started my first business, which was an event planning business. And that ended up up redirecting me, um, that experience ended up redirecting me to her headquarters, which is like the love of my life now. So I feel like that experience with that first business really taught you a lot and set you up for the vision for her headquarters. What does that look like? Definitely. That experience was brutal because I was very unprepared. I was one of those people at that time. And, you know, remind you at the time, I'm like 23, 24. And I just thought, if you have an idea and if you have passion and you just start working on it, you're going to be successful. Like, and yeah, yeah. And that's a very naive and very unprepared way to think about it. I typically tell people, I look at success as a recipe, right? And within that recipe of success, there is multiple ingredients and passion is just one ingredient that you need to create the recipe of success, but it's not the only one. At the time when I started that business, it was an event planning business and I'm in my final semester of college first person in my family to start a business. And so all of my family and all of my friends were so proud of me. And they were telling everyone that they ran into, oh yeah, you know, my friend Karina or my cousin Karina, she's launching this event planning business and she has a a launch party coming up soon. And they were so proud of me. And so that led to a lot of leads where women, other women would come to me and say, you know, hey, Karina, I'm also an event planner or I do event decor. I'm a caterer. I do this. I do that. I would love to partner with you on this particular event. And they were much smarter than me. And at the time, you know, I kind of thought like an idiot and I thought, well, if you're good at something, you should be to do it by yourself. So why would I partner with this other event planner on my event and make myself look bad? You know, why would I partner with this person and this person and that person and make myself what I thought was if I partner with someone, it's going to make me look like I cannot do this well by myself. And so I turn them all down and uh, definitely like burn some bridges. And long story short, the day of my launch party comes, I had invited close to, I want to say 75 to 100 people. And these were not friends and families that, uh, family members that I invited. These are people that I wanted as potential clients. And, you know, spent about two to $3,000, which is a lot for a broke college student um, to spend and, you know, got it catered and just, I went all out. I got gift bags for every single attendee that I thought was coming. And long story short, at the end of the day, I was crying on the bathroom floor because not a single person showed up. And that was gut-wrenching. I felt like 
when I look back on it, I feel like I got knocked out in the very first round on the very first day of being an entrepreneur. Wow. That is so intense. Yeah. That whole experience really set you up for what her headquarters was going to become. How did those pieces all fit together? I'm really good at reflecting. And one of the things that I did was, you know, once I got over the embarrassment and the devastation, which took a long time, I was asking myself, what did I do to contribute to this experience? And that's a question that I ask myself all the time, whether it was a good outcome or a negative one. Um, I always ask, what did I do that I'm going to repeat? What did I do that I'm going to avoid ever doing again? And one of the things that I realized and I was kind of doing my audit of what went wrong or what went right was I realized that if I had had the courage to partner with another business, I would have had access to an expertise that I did not yet have. And one of these people, even if it wasn't a woman-owned business, but coincidentally, all the people who offered to partner with me were women. And one of those women, at some point, because they had more experience than me, because they had a different network than me, and all these other things, they would have said, well, Karina, how many people RSVP to the event? And I would have said, oh, nobody, no one RSVP'd because I didn't require people to RSVP. I just sent out the invites. I'm thinking again, like a college student, you send me an invite and it says free food, free drinks and gift bags. I'm like, heck yeah, I'm going to be there. And I don't care if I don't know you. So I wasn't thinking like my audience was thinking. And I realized that was one of the many mistakes that I had made. And so I made sure that going forward in my business, Whenever I saw an opportunity, when I wanted something to be successful, I found a way to incorporate a partnership into that project to venture campaign. And then um, eventually my business did take off, thank God. It didn't stay horrible, but the first, I want to say year to year and a half, if I even got or landed any clients, they were paying me scraps because my experience matched scraps compensation, to be honest with you, because all I had was passion. I did not have any experience, but eventually things changed. And um, I had the opportunity to work with the Grammys and the NFL Honors Awards out in California. And after that, my business took off and I was just traveling all the time. And I'm meeting all these different women from different backgrounds, different industries, and they're all business owners. And as I would talk to them, there was a one common problem that a lot of these women had, and it was they had a hard time securing brand partnerships. And a lot of times their experience was, you know, I, Vanessa, let's say the owner of this business, I've identified this company as a company that I want to partner with. But I had to figure out One, who is the right contact person within this company that I should reach out to to even propose this opportunity to partner? Two, what is his or her's direct contact information so I can reach out out to them directly versus just sending an email to info at blank.com? Then there's the actual process of trying to land the meeting or the conference call to discuss how company A and company B can partner in a way that creates mutual value. And it sounds really simple when I like line out the steps, but it was very time consuming and it was very frustrating to a lot of people, specifically women. And uh, I always ask them like, well, if it's that time consuming, if it's that frustrating, if it's that overwhelming, and in some cases, women would secure these partnerships and they would still suck because this company or this person that they collaborated with didn't fulfill all the obligations that they agreed on. So they still ended up with a horrible experience. So I asked them all, if it's that horrible and that time consuming and that frustrating, why do you keep doing it? 
And in so many words, they all had the same answer. And that was, you know, when you find the right partnership, you can really see substantial growth in your business. Rather, it's more exposure, rather it's more revenue, or rather it's more customers. And like, I remember like a light bulb went off. And, you know, my initial experience was I saw the detrimental impact of not partnering. And then these women on the other side saw the value in partnering, but they were having a hard time securing them. So we were kind of on opposite sides of the spectrum. And when I fell out of love with event planning and I was really trying to figure out what's my next move, what do I do next that is bigger than me, that can have a mass impact and solve a big problem and have the opportunity to you know, reach millions, all these conversations came back to me. And that moment of me crying on the bathroom floor came back to me. And the idea of her headquarters became so clear that I started working on it the very next day. So you started working on this, and this is not a small concept or a small endeavor. Her headquarters is an app, which is a huge undertaking. What were your first steps towards making this a reality? Yeah, so my first steps, (laughs) it's so funny because having a service-based business and then, you know, because you don't need a lot depending on what type of service you're providing. You don't need- Yeah, you don't really need a lot of tools, capital, and resources to start a service-based business. But if you are looking to create a product-based business, especially within the tech industry like I'm in, you need a lot more. And when I had the idea of her headquarters, I was basically working on my last client for my event planning business. I was so over it that I was just ready to close the doors. Took my website down. Uh, didn't take on any more clients. And my first step was, okay, I did a couple Google searches like, okay, I need a million dollars. I did it all backwards. And so I just started reaching out to these random investors that I found on Google, like, hey, I have this idea that's going to connect women to partnerships. You know, I would love to pitch to you. I didn't have a pitch deck. I was doing all the right things in the wrong order. And that's what you do when you don't know. And when you don't have access to someone that can guide you. And uh, so I saw about maybe three to four months of just dead ends because I was doing everything out of order. And then eventually I talked to the right person and she said, Karina, you need to join this uh, local accelerated program. And I live in Omaha, Nebraska. I ended up meeting with the founders of the accelerated program and I told them what my idea was. And they said, your first step that you need to take is do research. Because the only thing worse than a failed product, a failed business, and time and money that you can't get back is investing time into a failed product, a failed business, and then discovering down the line that no one wants what you created. If no one wants it, it's better to find out as early as possible, day one, month one, than two years, three years in. And so my first assignment was to go out and to do research and specifically to do focus groups, surveys, and interviews with at least 200 women across the country, which is what I did. That's a big undertaking. Getting 200 people into some kind of research project like that is a lot of work. Yeah. And remind you, these are strangers because I didn't want biased feedback. Like your family they will tell you whatever they think you want to hear because they want to support you. And I didn't want a glittery response. I wanted an honest response. And so I was looking on Facebook and LinkedIn and scouting for leads. So I ended up having to reach out to like, I want to say 600 people just to get those 200 because I'm a stranger. And so, you know, some random person messages you in your inbox or emails you 
you know, not everyone is going to make time for someone they don't know who they had no introduction to. That was very time consuming. But when I did that research study, first I started with surveys and then I did one-on-one interviews with a portion of them. And then I did focus groups with a, a smaller portion of them. And what that really allowed me to understand is, you know, I knew what my experience was, but my experience may not be everyone else's. So I really had to learn you know, why do they value brand partnerships? Um, how often do they pursue partnerships for their company? What have their wins been like? What have been their struggles? And if I created a product to make it easier for them to secure partnerships for their company, what are the bare minimum things this app needs to have to be valuable to them? And they kind of, based off that feedback, they actually helped me kind of tweak the original idea of her headquarters because it was going to be something a little different than what it is now. And it's different because of the feedback I got from my audience. And that ended up making it easier for me down the line to get partners and investors and whatnot, because I didn't just say, hey, I have this idea based off of a bunch of assumptions. I said, I'm building this platform based off of the feedback of these women and 90 something percent of them said A, B, C, and D is a problem for them. So what was the first version of her headquarters supposed to be? So the first version of her headquarters was going to be a two-sided app. So one for customers to go and find businesses to women-owned businesses to support. And then the other side was going to be for the women entrepreneurs who own these businesses, for them to find customers who want to purchase their products and services, and then for them to find women-owned businesses to partner with. So it was going to be a lot bigger than what it currently is. And when I talked to these women, like 90% of them said securing brand partnerships that impacted their business was a bigger problem for them than finding customers. And that kind of blew me away. Yeah, that's really powerful. And I'm on the app. I use the app. So I know firsthand how that has played out in the interface and how people interact. And your app is constantly, not going through iterations, but constantly going through improvements. It's really evolving. Talk to me about developing an app. Yeah, it yeah, definitely always evolving. And I would say that it's constantly evolving because I'm constantly seeking feedback from our users. And I feel like if our product is not at a place where Women are logging in every single day, depending on this app, to help them grow their business to the point where they're scared, like, oh my gosh, I cannot believe I haven't logged in her headquarters in two days and they're freaking out. That means we can still do better. And that's really my goal. But after I did the research, then the next step was doing the wireframe. So basically like sketching out what will this app look like? How will it function? And if a user were to open up the app, what would she see and how would it work? And um, I ended up sketching it out. And I have those wireframes to this day. It really humbles me and reminds me of where I started. After getting those wireframes done, then the next step for me was to actually work with a UX designer who can take the sketches that I put on paper with just a pen and pencil and create that into a digital prototype so we can start doing testing with that same sample of women that we did the research with. And once I hit the testing phase and the prototype phase where it's time to actually get this product developed digitally, I kind of felt stuck because I didn't have the money for that. And coincidentally, super quick backstory, I ended up finding a woman 
on LinkedIn who was local, who was a UX designer. And I reached out to her and I said, hey, her name is Bianca. I said, hey, Bianca, I have this idea for this app that will match women entrepreneurs to partnerships nationally. And I really would love to take you to dinner and talk to you about this idea and see if there's an opportunity for us to work together. And she said, yes. For our very first dinner, we were at the restaurant for three hours. I was showing her the wireframes. And I was very honest with her because at this point, I don't have my full-time business anymore. Now I'm working part-time, work, making $13 an hour. So my resources has drastically dropped. And so I was very honest with her and I said, I need to move forward. I have validated the need for this product. And I have these women saying that they need this, but I don't have the money to pay UX designer In a situation like this, if you believe in the product, what options are there? She believed in the product of her headquarters, not because she liked me, not because she thought it was a cute idea, but because I pulled out all the data that I collected from these women. And I had the names and the industries and the locations and the years in business of these 200 plus women, what they said, the questions that I asked, all of it. And she was blown away. And she's like, I've never seen anyone do this before because of the work that I put in before I even decided to hire a single person. She believed in the future of this product. And so she and I made a deal that she would do all of the the prototyping for the product, the design, the testing, and I would not have to pay her until I secured our first investor. That made me nervous because I was like, well, what if it takes a year? What if it takes two years? She said, I don't care. And it ended up taking a year and a month between our very first meeting and me securing an investor. And by the time that happened, I ended up owing her like close to $12,000 and I paid her in full. And she was a complete stranger who met me for the first time and trusted me solely based off of the footwork that I had done. Hey everybody, it's Shauna. I just wanted to take a quick break from this episode to remind you that there's lots of good stuff happening over at StartupRenegades.com. First, you can enter your email address, join the community, and get notified of discounts and specials that our featured founders are giving exclusively to the Startup Renegades community. Also, get notified when we have founder firesides, where we put the founders in the hot seats and give you the opportunity to ask them the questions in a one-on-one environment. Plus, you can join the Startup Renegades Business Workshop. This is a four-week accelerator for founders who need a custom strategy, actionable next steps, and a true support system in order to scale. Is that you? If so, come join us at StartupRenegades.com and let's get started. That is an amazing story. I mean, right there is just the power of partnerships between two businesses, right? Yeah. Yeah. And it really showed me, and I was so happy that my accelerator program, you know, the the directors or or the people in the program that they really enforce, like before you go and hire a developer, before you go hire a UX designer, you need to make sure people need this. Like it's going to give me more credit if I can say, these are the things I know for a fact versus I think this, and I think this, and I think that. And so after the UX, after she created the prototype, we did a free round of testing with some users to figure out, does it function the way that it should? How easy is it to use? And based off their feedback, we made a few different changes. And then after that, it was time to actually find a development company. And that was when we would have to hand over the actual prototype version of the app that she had created and hand it over to a development team to actually code and create that. And that was another challenge for me because once we got done with testing, 
which was in late August, I believe of 2018, then I spent the next three months looking for a development company. I talked to every development company in the state of Nebraska. And then I even started looking outside of Nebraska and I was given quotes like as high as 250,000 and quotes as low as like 75,000. And I didn't even have the money to look at those quotes, to be honest with you. And so I felt really frustrated and I felt stuck again. And I also felt that it was too early for me to raise money. And I didn't try, but I just felt that, you know, it wasn't time for me to do that. And um, I remember after about three months of being stuck, I talked to a woman who's a partner at a venture capitalist firm. And she said, Karina, how often do you use Instagram? And how often do you use Facebook? And I was like, kind of laughed. And I was like, do you really want to know? She goes, yeah. I said, I use it like every day, multiple times a day. She goes, do you care who developed it? And I said, no. And she said, well, why don't you care? I said, because it works. It looks good. It works for me. And she said, exactly. She said, so I can tell you this as a VC, especially at the stage that you're in, your users do not care who developed your app as long as it works. They don't care if it's somebody who lives in your basement or if it's somebody who lives in LA or New York or San Francisco or if it's someone who works overseas. As long as it works and it provides value, they don't care who created it. And as an investor, I can tell you, as long as your app is generating money and there's engagement and it's growing, I don't care who created it. And she said, so, you know, these developers locally, they're not going to be honest with you and tell you to explore outsourcing because that's a competitor for them. And if you don't know by outsourcing, I mean, looking outside the U.S. for developers and coders to create your product. And it's typically frowned upon by domestic, usually frowned upon by domestic developers. And I had never heard of them before. They can't match the pricing. Yeah. And it's It's not realistic when you live on the U.S. economy. Yeah. And so when she said that, I think I needed to hear that from the right person. And she was the right person for me to hear that from. I respected her, trusted her. She had been in the tech industry for years. And then she was a very high up VC. And so hearing that, I was like, oh my gosh. And she goes, but you just need to make sure just like you would with any other professional you're thinking about hiring or contracting out for your business, check their portfolio, check their references, make sure you trust them. And as long as they check off all the boxes that are important to you, then you can work with them and who cares about their location. So I ended up outsourcing to a company outside of the US. I've worked with them for two years and it cost me a fraction of the price. And that was kind of my development story. That's amazing. Let's talk growth because you know you talked about the big part of the foundation for this business, which is huge. But what founders really want to know is how do I grow this thing? What actions did you take that actually started getting people on the app using the app, paying for the app. How did that work for you? What did you find that was really effective in terms of growth strategy? That is so, growth is so hard, (laughs) especially when you're in the beginning and you don't have a big team and you don't have this huge budget to just throw thousands towards marketing and thousands towards this. Like it's, I don't want to say it's easier, but you have much more room for options and execution and to try different initiatives when you have a big budget. So I'm going to answer it two ways. When we didn't have any money, basically. We did everything the hard way. You cannot be afraid to basically get dirty. And I always told myself, I'm not entitled to an easy journey. There are people out there who have had 
less time, less money, less resources, and less support that have been able to do more than me. So who am I to throw a hissy fit because it's hard and it's taking longer than I thought? So in the very beginning, right when we launched, we would literally pull our leads from Facebook, LinkedIn, and Instagram. I had my team search certain keywords and we would look up that particular woman's background and her company. And if we thought she was a good fit, we would send her like a VIP invite to her headquarters. So we literally did this one by one, person by person. This is before we had a single budget to do an an ad or any type of campaign. So that's kind of how we got them in organically, very, very slowly. I would say 2020 was a really big year for us. And there was a few things that impacted our growth. Obviously, number one, partnerships. We did about, I want to say maybe four to five big partnerships, rather they were with conferences or other women-owned businesses or events that were targeting women. We really aligned ourselves with other brands that had the audience of our target audience and and figure it out how can we come together in a way that creates value for that company, but also can leverage and convert some of their audience into users on her headquarters. And so we did a, a huge conference last year for our first year anniversary and we named it the Power Players Conference. So that was amazing. And it was catered to women entrepreneurs. So we provided them value outside of the app. And then with that conference, like, okay, well, this was such a great conference. Who was her headquarters? So then that brought in users. We are really big on giving back. So we did two business grants last year, um, obviously for women-owned businesses. And that led a bunch of leads to us like, okay, well, who is this company? What's this app? I'm going to sign up. And then obviously working with you, like hiring a marketing consultant who like specializes in that area and helping us think of ways to grow that we had it. I think it's a it was multi-tiered effort and it kind of takes me back to something I said in the very beginning about success. It's multiple ingredients. I think it's very rare to just do one thing and just grow substantially or exponentially off of that one thing. It was partnerships. It was giving back. It was um, putting content out there that was valuable. It was hiring a marketing consultant that was an expert in her area to help me and my team in an area where we were not experts. Well, thank you for that very nice compliment. What you said is something that I preach so much to people is that you have to have a holistic marketing strategy. You can't just rely on that one thing. For me, being inside your business, it was so much fun working on those business grants, building that whole program, seeing how you were able to impact women-owned businesses further was just such a special experience. But we did a lot of work in that time in creating processes for your marketing, automations for your marketing, which really helped your team do more, I think, because it was able to take things off of their plate so they could do more of the things that were in their zone of genius. And I love you forever for that. Like before Shauna, you guys, we were sending every single email individually or just doing like a mass BCC. And you put in place active campaign and like all these things. And it was so stressful in the beginning because I was like, I don't know what I'm doing. And the integration of it all, like you helped us save so much time and so much money. Thank you for that. Like when you come back to the US, I got a couple of drinks for you. 
<laughs> I cannot wait for that day. We're going to have the little ones playing. We're going to have drinks. It's coming. Um, yeah. You can't see me right now. I have the biggest smile on my face. <laughs> um, I want to back up a little bit because there is one thing that I want to compliment you on that I really appreciate about you. And I don't know. I think this is so ingrained in who you are as a person that you don't see it. But I want to ask you about mentorship, because even throughout this conversation, you've talked about different mentors along the way. You know, I don't know if any of those were paid or unpaid, but you and I met through a Facebook group and I see you in those Facebook groups all the time with, hey, I have this small question or has anyone hired this kind of person before? What advice do you have for that? I see you constantly asking questions from people who have walked this road before you. So I would love to get your answer about mentorship and is it important? Why is it important? How has it shaped your journey? Yeah. First, I want to say that I think sometimes, you know, I've been asked a few times, oh, do you? Do you have a mentor? Did you ever have a mentor? And I always say no until I realize that maybe mentorship doesn't necessarily need to be official. You know, like we have outlined in terms, you are my mentor, I'm your mentee. Like I think a mentor is anyone that you can really learn from and closely study or maybe even have access to that wants to guide you and maybe even protect you through your journey. And when I thought about it from that perspective, I'm like, I've had a lot of mentors in my corner who are steps ahead of me who, you know, maybe we didn't meet once a week or once a month, you know, maybe even once a quarter, but at any time I needed them, I could call them. I could pick up the phone. I can be vulnerable and say, we're struggling with this. I need your feedback on this. Or just like, I'm about two seconds away from pulling out my hair. And for me personally, that's something I used to struggle with because I mentioned to you, you know, earlier, I used to have this perception where if you partner or if you accept help, it was a sign of weakness. And it was a sign that you didn't know what you were doing. And it was also a sign that you were not qualified. And that was one of the most detrimental mindsets I've ever had in my entire life. And I'm so happy that I outgrew that. And once I learned that, yeah, there's going to be some people who might see you drowning and they might stop and they might not care not one bit. I don't mean, you know, uh, literally drowning. I just mean like figuratively, like they might see you really struggling in business. They might see a lot of areas that you need help in and they might even have the means and the knowledge to help you, but they won't care. And that's fine. We're not going to focus on them. I feel like there are a lot more people out there, especially women, whether you personally know them or not, that want to see you win and they can't help you if you don't speak up and say what you need. And once I got comfortable with being vulnerable, once I got comfortable with the things that I didn't know and realizing that, you know what, me not knowing this or this not being my strong area, this doesn't make me weak. This doesn't make me any less qualified as a founder. It just means that that I'm doing this for the first time. It means that this shit is hard. Sorry, I don't know if I can say that, but please do. Yeah, it just means that this shit is hard and I'm learning and maybe I need some help. And once I started to see the results and the doors that can open when I allowed myself to be vulnerable, like, hey, over here, I need some help. 
And then they came flocking. I'm like, this is great. All I had to do was ask before. I didn't have to struggle for two years. I didn't have to feel lonely. I didn't have to feel insecure and be questioning if I should have ever started this business. Like once I got over that, I'm like, this is great. So now I might ask to the point where it gets on your nerves, but at least I'm putting myself out there and it has paid off so far. And now I actually officially have a mentor as of three weeks ago. And we've had our first two meetings. She is a woman that is also in the tech industry. She has an app. She has just a subscription-based business, multi-million dollar business. She has a team of like 25 people. So she is, you know, several steps ahead of where I'm at. And our very first meeting, I remember thinking this is going to be worth every single dollar because little things that I had been struggling with that seemed like big problems in business, it was so simplified. Like, oh, Karina, do this, do this, do that. And it's been amazing, but I would just say, get over the idea of looking stupid, get over the fear of like looking like you don't know what you're doing because the people that want to help you cannot help you if you don't raise your hand. I love that so much. And I want to segue into something that is pretty vulnerable and I saw you post on a Facebook group today and I went to comment on it and I saw that it was you and it just blew my mind because I know who you are, how driven and how strong you are as a founder. You had said that in the beginning, someone told you, because you are a black woman, someone told you to go get a white co-founder because you weren't going to be able to raise money to get to the next level as a Black founder. Can you talk to me a little bit about that? I believe we had just launched apps. So we were only maybe no no older than three months old, um, if that. And uh, I was talking to a woman who's also in the tech industry and um, she was also a Black woman. And I think she was her intention was to prepare me because she did not say it maliciously. And I could tell that when she made that comment to me, it was more so like, hey, girl, I'm just telling you what it is like, take it or leave it, whether we like it or not. We live in Omaha, Nebraska. We live in the Midwest. You know, not only do you have this app catering to women, but a lot of the users that you have on this app is a specific demographic that's not very concentrated here. And a lot of our user base was like fashion industry, beauty, media, entertainment, industries that are not very prominent and not very strong in the Midwest. And so she's like, she saw all of those as cons. Like you're black, you're a solo founder, you're new to this, you don't have a background in tech. You Yes, you went to college and you have your bachelor's, but you don't have an Ivy League education. And then you're doing this app focused on women in this climate and all these industries that are not big here, you need a white co-founder. And uh, I remember not knowing how to take that. One, because I remember thinking, I'm Karina M.F. Glover. I can do this without a white co-founder, like period. I can do this. But I didn't take offense to it because I knew that the intention behind it was I'm really trying to look out for you and give you the heads up because it's been really, really hard for me. And I want to save you from this if I can. And I think that she was just the only person to say it. I'm very positive. She is not the only person to think that. That's what's worse, that she's not the only person who thinks that. She's just the only one who said it. And how do you feel about that? How has that shaped your experience? Because 
you have not taken on a white co-founder and her headquarters is just on the rise. Yeah. So I did have a co-founder for a very brief moment in 2019, and she actually was Black. One of the things I commented on in the post that you're talking about in this group, I said that if I ever were to take on a co-founder, the reason why I took on he or she would never be because of their race. But when I did have a co-founder for that brief moment, I loved that she was Black. And I love that she was Black because it's such a shocker in this world. Like, you know, when you think about a tech company, most people are envisioning a white guy from Silicon Valley. You are not thinking two Black girls from Omaha, Nebraska, with one of those women being my co-founder at the time was also a single mother. Like, that is like, oh, my world, you know, that makes you grab your pearls. Um, And so I love that part. But I will say that I had to learn whose advice to take and apply to my business and what advice do I need to leave on the table. And I think that that was a hard lesson for me to learn in the beginning because everyone means well. Everyone thinks they knows what they're talking about, even if they've never even attempted to do what you're doing. And so I had to hear her and respect where she was coming from and know that it was coming from her place of struggle and know that my limitations aren't yours. And I'm one of those people, I've always been like this since I was a kid. If you say I can't do something, rather you mean it nicely or harshly, I'm going to prove you wrong. And I don't know if that's always the best intentions, but it adds fuel to my fire. And I don't think that at the end of the day, when I think about her headquarters becoming a multi-million dollar company and scaling and one day being sold, I don't think about there being a white co-founder next to me or a black co-founder, I think about a strong team around me. And that's a team of men and women who are passionate about this company, who are loyal to this company, and who are experts in the areas that they've been assigned you know, to execute in. That's what I think about. I think it's a strong team. And it's also a very blended team because I don't want everybody to look the same, talk the same, think the same, because that means we're all going to be spitting out the same ideas. You know, We're not going to see things we're not going to see things differently. So at the end of the day, when I see about, when I think about the success of her headquarters, I picture a very big and very diverse in age, in sex, in perspectives, in backgrounds, in location. Karina, you are so inspiring and I am so grateful to know you. One last question. This is the Startup Renegades podcast. What does it mean to you to be a startup renegade? Mm. That's a good question, Shauna. I see it as a privilege. It's hard. I think that it is a badge of honor that comes with a lot of challenges, but it doesn't mean that it's not a badge of honor. And I look at it as an opportunity to break barriers. And I look at it as an opportunity to open doors for people. And I have this perspective of who doesn't get a chance if I fail? And I don't know if that's fair to myself to put that much pressure on me, to be honest. But uh, I think that everything you do, everything that I do, at least, is bigger than me. And so the idea of being a startup and the idea of growing beyond my wildest dreams, because I'm so driven that I think I'm going to blow the goals that I have out the water. And that makes me excited. But The things I look forward to most are the impact that I can have through this journey. 
Karina, thank you so much for being here. Where can people find you? They can find, obviously, her headquarters app. So you can download her headquarters from the App Store. We are on Apple and Google Play Store. And then if you just want to check out our website to learn more about the company, you can go to herheadquarters.app or connect with me on LinkedIn. It's Karina Glover, G-L-O-V-E-R. I love new connections, rather they're you know, women entrepreneurs or other just founders or obviously investors or just potential partnership opportunities for 2021. I'm an open door and an open book. So LinkedIn or the Her Headquarters app. It is so true. She is. If you are a woman entrepreneur, you want to go check out Her Headquarters, sign up for the app, get started and figure out, take that next step to see what partnerships can do for your business. That was this week's episode of Startup Renegades. Thank you so much for joining me and soaking up all that brilliant entrepreneurial knowledge from today's guest. If you want to suggest a founder for a future episode or just want to connect, you can find me on Instagram at shauna.armitage. That's S-H-A-U-N-A dot A-R-M-I-T-A-G-E. And just a little reminder, if you liked what you heard today, be sure to subscribe and leave a review wherever you listen. It makes a huge difference and it's so important for helping the show thrive. I'll be here same time next Tuesday for a raw, honest conversation with another startup renegade. Oh, 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 oh